Hey everybody, it's Brian Bergman and welcome back. Here we are with part two with Hey Jackpot's Jackie Suvet. If you haven't listened to part one, please go back and find out about how she helped pioneer an ordinance and licensing system for cannabis consumption lounges in the city of West Hollywood. And now, here in part two, we get to talk about some exciting things about some of the myths and misconceptions that are surrounding cannabis consumption when you're out of your home. Can't wait to share this one with you. Let's build a hypothetical because, um, and, and I'd love for you to address the hypothetical both Nick and I represent uh, various developers and producers who are creating immersive experiences. And obviously, um, without sounding crass, the more money that we can generate for everybody that goes through the experience, the higher the margin and the better the business model is for our clients. And so uh, obviously utilizing the event license as, as a couple things. One, to help my clients, our clients monetize greater, but also two, I don't, I want to throw this in there so people are aware of this as well. A lot of the experiences are very conducive to cannabis consumption, whether from a branding standpoint, because the intellectual property is very consistent with that lifestyle, or the experience itself is enhanced by consumption. Um just a quick example, I, I went to one recently. I was under the influence of THC. The person I was with was not, and I was willing to pay quite a bit more for the experience than that other individual was because I had a qualitatively different experience. And so I'm interested if our clients are creating these immersive experiences and they are, let's say they're touring, Okay, so they're resident in a fixed location for three months and their their business model is primarily ticket revenues from admissions, plus on site food and beverage, including alcohol. Okay, how would one of those clients, if at all, tap into the potential of an event license from your vantage point? That's a good question. Well, you know, a lot of this stuff is, uh, it sounds trite to say it, but it's pioneering. So we are definitely in the cannabis industry creating, you know, building the boat as we're on the water. And that remains true in this event space. People like you got yourselves are some of the forerunners and forefront people in this space really trying to dig in and see the future on how cannabis events can be, again, destigmatized and normalized and then be able to actually have them as a revenue generator. I think that the way to do it is what Nick was saying, which is you step outside of the sales and you charge VIP tickets. You can definitely upcharge for VIP tickets, which is then going to um, you know, create a whole nother revenue stream. You can create an event inside the event. Let's say it's a screening of a film, right? You're going to show Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? You could charge for that and and people can and the and your uh uh your clients could profit and receive profits from the sale of the, that part of the ticket. But if somebody goes and buys a pre-roll from X dispensary who's got a booth set up there, they won't be able to take money off of that. Although I take it back. I take it back. Let me let me take that back because actually it's the only person 
who can't receive money from, from the uh, sale of cannabis is the cannabis event organizer, the one who's holding the license. Everybody else actually could cut deals. It's not going to be the smartest way to do it is to take it off the rev off the sale of the, of the product anyway. You're probably going to want to create more of a sponsorship package. I mean, this is where event stuff comes into play. It's like we can get creative and there's, there's nothing right now that says you can't do it, right? So uh, the only, we know the things you cannot do, but when it, so I think it's much more of a, like, who wants to take the ride to go down this path and experiment with the different ways, different revenue generators. Yeah. And it's also fun to try and watch too, about whether or not cultivators can start to use these events for sampling their products or not yet. That's still kind of something that they're trying to work through with the regulations right now in California. Uh, you know, Wendy, I think you've got another question. I'd love to hear it. But then after that, I'd love to have Nick and Wendy, since you guys are coming at this kind of outside of the industry more so than Jackie and I, we'd love to maybe address and debunk some uh, cannabis myths or misconceptions surrounding events. But Wendy, if you had a question you might have to ask before we get into that, love to hear it. Yeah, well, and I think that that will lead great into what you want to talk about because there is this challenge, uh, internal challenge among many of our entertainment related clients of wanting to, to appeal to their core audience, many of whom are cannabis users or are engaging in an event that is a cannabis lifestyle adjacent event. Let's say, for example, I'm a Pink Floyd freak. Okay. I just love Pink Floyd. There are various Pink Floyd experiences around and it would make total sense to have a cannabis related event associated with that type of experience, not just for revenue generation, but to engage the customer in a more holistic way from a branding standpoint. And so that's really where, where I come from on this is, um, I guess my question to Jackie is, if someone is interested in just driving people to their experience and less concerned about generating revenues from the actual consumption at the event, but rather creating a more holistic experience for them. If they're in a venue, a fixed venue, let's say, and it's a, an exhibition of some sort, and there's a parking lot or some type of open air area adjacent to it, is that something that your event license can work towards to create a situation where they're not necessarily affected directly by the regulation, but there's a halo opportunity to create a strategic partnership between what you do and what our clients absolutely, do? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that's probably um, much more along the lines of something that's re that's practical and realistic and achievable at this point. Um, I think that one of the challenges I've seen with uh, talent on the talent side that is they're used to getting paid by big brands, by big alcohol brands or, or whoever. And the thing is, is the cannabis brands aren't that big yet. They are in like little in, in a little box of California or in a little box of something. But these are not gigantic brands yet. They're not multinational brands yet. And so a lot of talent, for example, your Willie Nelson, you know, Wiz Khalifa's and so forth have created brands, uh, you know, they've licensed their brand out 
to a cultivator to create a strain and or a line of products that they then get a licensing fee from, right? There's not really like Willie Nelson is growing weed in his backyard and you're smoking Willie's weed. It's, it's he's licensed his name out. He might be involved in the genetics. That's been the typical way for talent and, and uh, um, uh, of any kind to sort of profit and participate in cannabis. But now we have these events that they can come in and actually be a partner on, or like you say, a strategic partner on and help create the actual event itself. What is the event? What's the culture around the event? What are we trying to do? The consumption of cannabis is almost ancillary at that point. It's no different than the consumption of alcohol, um, which is you go to an event for the event. And then, oh yeah, I can go grab a beer. Or, oh yeah, I can go buy a pre-roll. Or, and I could smoke it here, or I could drink it here. But the event is still the event, right? That doesn't have to change. But it's what changes is that we're losing alcohol, we're bringing in tobacco, we're bringing in cannabis. Um, so all of those same revenue opportunities that exist are still there. All the same branding opportunities to exist are still there. It's that that cloak, that veil that you're talking about of cannabis compliance has to be on top of it. And that's the thing that I think people have a difficult time understanding is that there's law and there's regulations and then there's a whole nother layer on top that's cannabis. So I've heard a lot of people say, well, I know how to run hospitality events. I know how to do these things. You do, but you've never done cannabis compliance on top of it. And that's just a whole nother beast to deal with. But is it possible? Yes. And that's why I'm here today is because these things are the future. I believe cannabis consumption events are the future. You know, it's people say, oh, well, we've been doing it in Amsterdam. And it's like, well, yes, Amsterdam has been ahead of the game, but it's been a decriminalized, look the other way situation over there. It was never actually officially legal. Here we are in California. We can have a legal event with legal cannabis sales and legal consumption. It really changes things. And I think that five years from now, we're going to look back at this and say, wow, you know, because five years from now, I think there's going to be a lot more cannabis events or cannabis at events is a bit, maybe even a better way to say it. Because it doesn't, the event doesn't always have to be just a cannabis event, right? Or a cannabis themed event. It can be absolutely any event with any music, talent, sports, doesn't really matter. Immersive. And we can add cannabis to it. So maybe that's another way to think about this for your clients is it's not like you have to throw an event that is cannabis themed. You're throwing an event and you're hopefully going to be able to bring a cannabis environment into it in a legal way. So maybe with the time we have remaining, uh, with respect to Brian's comment about fear, I think that would be a really great way to wrap up this podcast because um, our firm is an unusual firm in that we don't lead by fear. We lead by possibility. And that's why we're so excited about the intersection of cannabis and entertainment, because we know not only is there possibility, but as you said, Jackie, the train has left the station and that is where things are headed. So let's talk a little bit about where fear might come from, from the current client base and, and just talk about it openly so that if anyone out there is listening and has that fear maybe we can dispel it, at least start to dispel it. And the way I break down fear is two parts. One is actual, I don't want to wind up in jail, or I don't want to wind up paying penalties or having a bad reputation business-wise. 
And then the second fear is I don't want something bad to happen that's going to affect my brand negatively because I'm scared of cannabis itself. So Jackie, would you mind addressing fear in two parts? One being helping people understand how we collectively, you and the firm collectively can help them navigate that type of regulatory fear in blue skying and, and getting creative about how to incorporate it in their events. And then secondly, your perception as to what the consumer thinks in terms of cannabis events and how people perceive it vis-a-vis other people's brands? Absolutely. Uh, really good questions, Wendy. I, I think on the first part, uh, fear is obviously a big piece of cannabis stigma. It's one of the reasons we are fighting to re- reduce the stigma and eventually get rid of it completely. Um, fear comes in many ways here. And one of the big ones is uh, I don't like the smell. The smell's gonna the smell's gonna waft into my neighbor, into my in you know, and there's the neighbors. It's basically neighbors, right? Whether it's you're in a commercial space and there's neighbors next door, it's about that smell. And so ironically, the cannabis regulations are so strict that We've had the former chief of the uh, cannabis, uh, California Cannabis Regulatory Association uh, uh, walk into a lounge and say, I can't smell a thing. And that's simply because our air filtration and odor mitigation regulations are so strict. They're stricter than any restaurant. You know, they're stricter than any cigar lounge. They're stricter than anything. So the truth is the smell, which is one of the biggest pieces of, of thing we hear from everybody is likely going to be almost non-existent. People are putting in double doors and all kinds of different state-of-the-art uh, you know, procedures. And that same philosophy of heavy regulation goes across all of the fear issues with cannabis. So every time somebody comes with a new fear, you're bringing drugs, you're bringing uh, gangs, you're bringing, it's like, no, these are going to be, we have multiple security guards that are required to be on site, roaming the premises, roaming the, the two block area around you. We've got the, we've got noise control, uh, you know, in place. Um, and then of course, all of the cannabis lounges and the events are going to be pushing uh, shared rides, right? Nobody really wants anybody driving impaired. So they're just, they're going to be pushing shared rides, which is in everyone's application and in everyone's educational plans. Um, and so I think those that over-regulation, it's unfortunate in California, it's over-regulation, but is actually going to knock out almost every single fear that somebody could have. I, I'm going to have an answer for it. I'm going to say, oh, well, this regulation covers that, right? So what you're saying is, in a, in a really weird way, is if someone's interested in exploring uh, incorporating this opportunity into their out-of-home entertainment experience by virtue of working with someone such as yourself who has a license and understands the regulatory landscape, they will quickly see that because it is so hyper-regulated, the fears they may have are dispelled by virtue of the regulations and by virtue of working with someone such as yourself and little plug for our firm, uh, people that understand the laws. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, Wendy. It's like we are almost I would almost go so far as to say that the cannabis uh, lounges and events are going to be like the safest places possible (laughs) because of the overregulation. So I think on that side, regulation has officially checked off every 
every actual fear. Now, on the brand side of things, that is a culture-based kind of a situation. If you're, I'll give you an example. Several years ago, uh, we were trying to look into security companies, and this was pre-legalization, and came upon this great security company, and they said, well, you know, we're really not supposed to work with cannabis companies. Well, why is that? You guys provide vaults, you do all the things. They said, yeah, but you know, our stockholders or yeah, you know, our other clients, they don't feel so great about it. And so if you are a type of a brand that has your base is already fearful, you can do a couple of things and you want to move forward with cannabis. You can do a couple of things. One, you can create your own educational platform and talk to your fans about it. Talk to your clients about it. Talk to your customers, whoever it is that is is following along with your brand and you're thinking they're going to be scared. They're going to think um, I'm terrible and my brand is terrible because I've now associated it with cannabis. Well, you're already associated with all kinds of other things, not even just alcohol. There's all kinds of things out there in the world to be associated with that people have issues with. So I think that a lot of it is education um, and a lot of it is confidence is being able to say, I'm, I confidently believe in this. I absolutely know that what we're doing is legal. We're following all of the regulations. And the truth is, if you don't like it, you don't have to come to the event. Right. right. I think that to the point that everyone seems to be making in thinking about the risks of doing events, right? Forget about cannabis. Okay. If you're doing concerts or whatever it is in my business, I'm thinking about concerts. There's risk. If you're doing Shakespeare, there's risk. You have people in a room. You don't know what can happen. So immediately there's this risk that is both of injury. Uh, you know, if you're the sponsor, the Wall Street Journal sponsoring the opera, something can happen. Right. And it's going to impact their brand. So this is just another one on top of that. And, you know, what I sort of keep coming back to is, you know, you look at uh, the tragedy that happened with Travis Scott at the Astroworld thing. Right. And one of the things that always occurred to me, or I sort of thought of, and I don't know if it's correct or not, was would that have happened in California? Or did that happen because it was in Texas, right? And they much more loosely regulated than California and they sort of let, gave too much uh, uh, authority to the promoters and the people who were putting the event. They didn't have to have as much security, police. And it might be one thing if you're thinking about doing an event in Texas, a cannabis event, if that ever happens, as opposed to California, where it's like, you know, you can feel pretty comfortable that across the board, it's going to be good. I mean, look, Coachella's happened year after year. It's been good. And I would imagine it's because of the regulatory regime that exists in California and around that event to a certain degree. Well, on the Coachella thing, I'll just say that that's unfortunately not the case with just specifically Coachella. And that's because the owner of Coachella is anti-weed. So you have a, we don't want weed anywhere around here. So that's why everybody at Coachella goes and gets a house across the street or down the street and has all their parties there. And that's because they've never allowed cannabis on their grounds. They don't want it. It's active. But the regulations that we, you were just talking about, the regulations are going to cover all of those things that you just mentioned, because um, it, it's it's like you're not going to have the same situation. It, I don't think it has anything to do with Texas, much less is, that it has to do with California's heavy regulation is really the, the, the winner in that, in that story. 
it likely wouldn't happen at a cannabis event in California. It's almost not going to happen at all because of the heavy security that we have to have. I, I wonder, do you think that there's an, if you're doing a cannabis event, is look, if you're doing a concert, you might have your cannabis space. People are going to be using cannabis uh, everywhere. Do you think if you have a cannabis event license, you're going to be potentially running a greater risk in terms of people using cannabis outside of the specific cannabis event? Nope. Another, that's another regulation is like I say, we have to have a roaming security guard. And so, and you have to post signage. So you've got all this signage that says, Hey, you're buying, here's where you can smoke. Here's where you can consume. And here's where you can't. So I think that that's a really important part here too. Our security plans is almost like the, it's one of the number one pieces of every licensed application is security. There's very strict rules about it. So much stricter than other locations especially here in California. So I, I think that that we're weirdly, we're safe because of the overregulation. It's a double-edged sword for sure, Jackie. The big takeaway here is where there's a will, there's a way. And there's plenty of opportunity out there. And, you know, Jackpot is one of those great businesses that are out there right now getting ready to, you know, help you put those event licenses out there so that you can start doing these California events. And uh, we'll make sure that we have Jackie's information up there. And of course, we here at Nolan Hyman are more than happy also to help really navigate and feel all the creative ways to get going through an event like this or even something a little more permanent. It, it's, it's always a good idea to look for ways outside the box because there are. And I, and I want to say something about that real quick is I just want to say it's so valuable to have a firm like you guys on this because I talk to all kinds of people in the industry. I talk to lawyers every day, right? Most of them are not ready to do these things. And why we've all come together and identify on this is because you guys see the future and are willing to, to do the steps that take us there. My old investor from my previous business used to say, you know, Jackie, what happens to pioneers? They get shot in the ass with arrows. <laughs> and, but you know what? I'd rather take the arrows and have uh, like a really cool event that is compliant, but is pushing the envelope. And because eventually these are going to be normalized one day. Well, and so I, um, I just wanted to kind of wrap up all of this by saying this gets me even more excited because uh, people often wondered why would an entertainment and intellectual property firm have a cannabis practice? And I said, it's because again, Cannabis is a lifestyle and the merger of the two is inevitable. Unfortunately, most people lead with fear and we want all of the listeners out there to really understand what Nolan Hyman is about, which is making sure that we help people navigate fear. Uh, as Brian likes to say, what is your catchphrase, Brian? Helping navigating the fear of the known leaving the, which basically is like, you know, you're, you know what you like, you know what you do, but how do you get outside of your comfort zone? I like to help navigate the fear of leaving the fear of the known. That's right. And so for anyone out there who's interested in exploring this in terms of business opportunities, um, it, it could just very well be an initial exploration. Don't, don't um, get too concerned that once you dip your foot in the water, you're stuck. But if anyone's interested and exploring these opportunities and really staying abreast of how these opportunities become more ubiquitous, 
more done, less, less fear-driven and more business-driven, please continue to listen to, to this podcast because that's what we're exploring and that's what we're staying abreast of. We're very pro-business. We're not pro-jail. <laughs> we're not pro-penalty. We don't want any of our clients to suffer one millisecond of pain. And the arrow in the tush, we'll take it for you. <laughs> we do not want you to take it. Um, we will do our due diligence and make sure that you are absolutely protected while we optimize your business opportunities, which is really what we're all about. So Brian, I'll let you wrap. Can I, squeeze in, can I squeeze in with one thing on that? Just a fast one. No one, no one's going to jail in California at least anymore for cannabis. So that is just not an issue anyway. We've, we fixed that with prop 64. So just wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that I wouldn't say no one, but the risks have been ameliorated immensely as long as you follow the rules. And there's plenty of avenues to do that now and sleep well at night. And so Jackie, we can't thank you enough for being on here. It was just so good. We just couldn't even stop it, but we'll just have to have you on again another time. And thanks so much for taking the time with us this afternoon. And Absolutely. This I had a great time. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And to any listener out there who's interested in exploring this more at a more personal level, um, personal meaning of uh, more specific business level, please feel free to reach out to us. We have a super close relationship with Jackpot and Jackie, and we're happy to all get together in a room. Um, and if you want to hear subjects that are ancillary to this, related to it, in addition, take a deeper dive, please let us know. We're here to really serve you uh, as a source of information and opportunity. And so the more feedback and suggestions we get, the better. So thank you to everyone. And Jackie, thank you so very, very much.